This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, podcast listeners. Today, it's such a beautiful day out. I hope you all are having a beautiful day as well. But today, we're going to be talking about some events that had happened yesterday about why the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were sliding due to uh, weak economic data and dire outlooks, which stoke recession fears currently. We're also going to be talking about Snapchat, Snap, Snapchat a little bit to understand what happened during their recent earnings call as well. Then we're also going to be talking about how Ford is kind of in trouble currently right now with false advertising claims and with some other uh, news events that are happening at Ford as well. And finally, we're going to be talking about the food crisis and what's happening and how this ties in with what's potentially happening in India. With that being said, guys, like I always say, if I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. Please go talk to your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions as they understand your financial situation a lot better than I do. This is for entertainment purposes only and to help you get better information so that you know what's happening in current events around you since Wall Street isn't always going to talk about it. With that, let's begin today's podcast. S&P 500, NASDAQ slide as weak economic data, dire outlooks, strokes, recession fears. From New York Rudders, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ finished in the red on Tuesday as worries that aggressive moves to curb decades high inflation might tip the U.S. economy into a recession dampened investors' risk appetite. All three major stock market indexes paired their losses in afternoon trading with blue chip Dow turning positive. Even so, the S&P 500 ended just 2.2 percentage points above confirming it has been a bear market since it's reached its all-time high on January 3rd. I had mentioned this earlier. I firmly believe currently right now we are in a recession-like right now. Not fully because we need one more quarter worth of negative growth, but I'm, I still believe that currently. Now, quote, as we step back and acknowledge the primary market catalyst, it has really been about the Fed pivot and the change in interest rates, which have influenced prices across the capital markets, said Bill Northey. Senior Advisor, Senior Investment Director at U.S. Bank Wealth Management in Himalaya, Montana. In the last two weeks, we've seen some degree of macroeconomic uh, deterioration starting to be manifest in corporate earnings and economic releases. Much of the sell-off was driven by a profit warning from Snap Inc., which sent the company shares plummeting, a 43.1% sparking con uh, contagion through the social media segment. Meta platforms, Alphabet Inc., Twitter Inc., and Pinterest Inc. were all down between 5 and 24%, and the broader S&P 500 communication service sector slid at 3.7%. Okay, so yesterday was pretty bad in general. Wall Street's super jittery currently right now, and they're going to be continue to be jittery a little bit more. But like we just said, we are going to talk a little bit about Snap. From Rudders 2, oh, Snap. Social media stocks lose billions after Snapchat parent warning. Now, two days ago, Snapchat actually released an earn. They released a report saying, hey, we're not going to have a good quarter. And Wall Street kind of made it dropped. But I guess this is even their warning that they gave. But it's a lot worse than it sounds. 
Snap Inc. shares plunged more than 40% and sparked a sector-wide sell-off on Tuesday. After a profit warning from the Snapchat parent signal, tough times ahead for the once booming digital ad industry. The company was on track to lose $15 billion in market capitalization, while shares of major online advertisers and social media firms were set to lose a combined $200 billion in value from, from the route. Snap shares closed at $12.79, lower than their 2017 IPO price at $17. Meta platforms, Pinterest, Twitter, and Google parent Alphabet dropped 5 and 24%. Snap said on Monday it was expecting to miss quarterly revenue and profit targets set just a month earlier and would have to slow hiring and lower spending. Valuations for social media stocks are climbing back down to earth after the companies posted unprecedented growth last year when advertisers began to recover from the pandemic, said Brian Weezer, global president of business intelligence at ad agencies Group M. There's a resetting of expectations, he said, adding the, the while economic problems like inflation are partly hurting revenue, Snap and other platforms have also overestimated their ability to maintain a break, breakneck growth. Even, snow, even so, Snap valuation of nearly 15 times 2024 estimate earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, according to Refinity data, was significantly higher than Alphabet's 8.5 times and Meta's six times. So this is something I don't get fully, okay? Snapchat, I believe, makes money through advertisements, okay? But at the end of the day, they have to compete with Instagram or meta platforms for Facebook. What I don't get currently is who's really using Snapchat to advertise currently, okay? Now, granted, there probably are some people, but I've noticed that when applying or at least looking at jobs currently that that when I'm looking at least social media platforms, they always mention Facebook. They might mention LinkedIn. I think sometimes they'll mention Pinterest, but it's very rare they'll mention Snapchat, okay? Because Snapchat is for young people, or at least it was. I don't know if it still is because when I, if you guys don't know, if you guys have followed me a little bit, you would, un, you would know that I coach a little bit of volleyball on the side too sometimes. And the kids who I currently coach, they're big into TikTok. Not so much Snapchat. I mean, I guess sometimes they'll snap a few things here and there, but they're really into TikTok these days. I mean, Snapchat did have its heyday, but it seems like its heyday is just virtually not there. It's kind of like becoming the Twitter of social media platforms right now before Elon Musk bought out Twitter, at least in what I'm seeing. So, but we go on to read that, quote, uh, nope, that's not what I need to read. This one I need to read. Even so, snap valuation of nearly 15 times. We've already read that, actually. The bleak view, this is what I need to read. The bleak view from one of the sector's well-known names underlines the impact of the Ukrainian war, surging inflation, and the rising interest rates on social media companies, just when they were trying to shake off the hit, the, the changes to Apple's iOS operating system. Quote, snap is a proxy for online advertising. And when you see weakness, there, then you automatically think Facebook, Pinterest, and Google, said Dennis Dick, a trader from Bright Trading. Quote, once you start thinking about Google, that's when the markets start to sell off. Snap and its peers, including Meta, are in the path of a storm that also includes increasing competition from TikTok, from users' attention, and ad dollars, said Jasmine Enberg, principal analysis at research firm Insider Intelligence. See, like I said, TikTok is a huge competitor right now for Snapchat. And obviously Facebook as well, like we've talked about. But TikTok has has the reins right now. 
young people love doing TikTok. In fact, there's even times like at volleyball tournaments, like the girls I'll be coaching will be like, coach, can you do a TikTok with us? And most of the time I'll politely say no. But occasionally if I decide that, okay, I'll be kind to them, I will consider doing it. I also just don't want my face out there as much on TikTok as much, but kids love TikTok these days. And because of that, Snapchat's going to continue to suffer. I don't expect Snapchat to recover anytime soon. In fact, I don't expect it to recover at all because I just don't see how TikTok is relevant in today's market. So, but we'll find out. I mean, that's kind of one reason I think too, Facebook is changing to the metaverse too. It's because their ad dollars can only go for so long if people are no longer on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, Facebook is lucky they have WhatsApp as well because that's a money machine for them currently. So it's going to be interesting to see how Snap recovers from this if they ever do. Now, we might be asking ourselves, where is money being made currently right now in the market currently? Because it just seems like everything's falling and there has to be somewhere where people are making money. Well, have no fear. We might have found our answer currently. From Rotors in New York, Rocky, Rocky markets give are giving macro funds a boost. Hedge funds that bet on bonds, currencies, stocks, and commodities are among the industry's biggest winners this year, easily outpacing growth and tech funds, returns, and preparing to see significantly significant inflows of capital as the stock market hovers near bear market territory. So-called global macro funds returned 10.3% in the first four months of the year, while the average hedge fund inched up 1.9% according to data from hedge fund research. The standard and poor 500 index tumbled 13% in that period. Over the last three years, global macro funds on average delivered positive returns, but they also trailed behind the hedge fund industry's strong returns. Now with inflation surging and volatility ticking higher as central banks re re reverse years of monetary stimulus, the environment looks to be especially good for global macro funds. This quote, this environment will most likely lead to new inflows of capital to, strategi to, strate to the strategy at the expense of other funds, said uh, MN McCoy, head of Prime Services at Wells Fargo. Global macro funds invest only about 70% of the industry's $4 trillion in assets, less than roughly 30% invested by equity-focused hedge funds, and the 28% invested by funds that bet on corporate events, hedge fund research data showed. Through the first quarter, the latest available data flows were picking up the investors spent $3 billion in new capital into these, these strategies, compared with $1.9 billion going to equity-oriented funds. Overall, $19.8 billion was added in the first quarter, HFR data showed. Scott uh, Bessent, who runs Key Square Group after having committed, um, committed his reputation as a global macro investor by helping billionaire George Soros engineer his famous bet against the British pound 30 years ago, told investors that he is more enthusiastic about the environment now than in early January. Quote, we are now seeing a series of longstanding economic, political, monetary, and portfolio management systems break down. Ben Sent said in his letter, what we have seen for the remainder of 2020s is a cascading series of system collapses. That's disgusting. I mean, I looked this up to figure out what macro hedge funds do. And according to Google, it says, what is a macro hedge fund? 
Global micro hedge funds are actively managed funds that attempt to profit from broad market swings caused by political or economic events. Macro hedge funds are the market's bet against the economic events. So they're betting that things are going to go to go south. Okay. And it's disgusting that they're doing this currently right now. I mean, granted, everyone has a right to figure out where they want to invest their money. And then, and if they want to take that bet, that's up to them. But it's also disgusting to think that there's people out there betting that the economies are going to collapse currently right now. And these macro hedge funds are doing really well currently right now. Whereas companies who actually have to make profit are getting crushed by everything right now if they don't meet Wall Street's expectations. It seems like a sickening game sometimes. And anything with George Soros, like if you were, if I mean, anyone who's associated with George Soros in any way, shape or form, I don't think that's a good thing to be a part of. I mean... I don't know George Soros personally, but the more I look into him, the more I find him a little disturbing. And I can't put my finger on it just quite yet, but I mean, he bet against the pound collapsing 30 years ago. That should give you an idea of this type of person who you would be working with. Later on, it says, this is an opening the way for a large pipe pipeline of vast opportunities, Ben said, said, adding the events with a small probability of occurring are becoming more numerous as central banks are reversing ultra-loose monetary policies. The firm declined to comment any further on the letter. Well, yeah, they better further decline if they're saying, hey, we're going to bet against how everything's collapsing right now and there's so much opportunity down the pipeline. That's disgusting. I'm sorry. If... if if you guys invest in macro funds, I mean, that's your choice at the end of the day. I personally wouldn't. It's just disgusting. <laughs> oh, these people sometimes make me sick the more I study Wall Street. And it should make you a little bit sick as well. On to the next article. Ford to pay U.S. states $19.2 million over false advertising claims. Ford Motor will pay $19.2 million to resolve allegations it falsely advertised real-world fuel economy and payload capacity for some hybrid and pickup trucks, the Iowa Attorney General's office said on Tuesday. The, co the covers the 2013-2014 C-Mac hybrids and the 2011-2014 through 2014 Super Duty pickups. In 2013, Ford lowered the advertised fuel economy ratings on its C-Mac hybrid by up to 7 miles per gallon and sent checks to owners of $550 to make up the difference in fuel costs. Quote, for years, Ford advertised impressive fuel economy and payload capacity for its cars and trucks, Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller said. Unfortunately, these figures were not based in reality, leaving consumers with vehicles that did not meet their standards. The settlement with 40 states in the District of Columbia prohibits Ford from making false and misleading advertising claims concerning estimated fuel economy or payload capacity of the new monitor vehicle Ford did not admit wrongdoing. Ford said it was pleased the issue was closed without any judicial findings of improper conduct. We worked with the states to resolve their concerns and in the process, limited additional investigation costs and legal expenses for all parties. Ford, Ford misrepresented the distance consumers could drive on one tank of gas, asserted driving style would not influence vehicles' real-world fuel economy, and claimed superior real-world fuel economy compared to other hybrids, acting New Jersey Attorney General Matthew Plankton said. Plankton said Ford ran on Deception advertisement called by the hybrid games narrated like an Olympic sport that depicted the Ford C-Mac outperforming the Toyota Prius and a series of videos. Toyota declined to comment. So Ford is going to get hit probably next quarter a little bit with this. I mean, I think they're already having to go through some of these um, 
these charges currently right now. So it seems like they're going to probably be hit a little bit next quarter. But it's also interesting too, because this is at the same time that Ford CEO Farley says company will continue to make hybrid vehicles, even when this when this lawsuit has been settled. It says here from Ford Authority, Ford is in the midst of a major EV pivot that will see its transition, its entire European passenger vehicle lineup to all vehicle models by 2030 or sooner. With the automaker's North America lineup inevitably following suit as an under point in the future as well. However, in the meantime, Ford has no intentions to stop making hybrid vehicles, either as CEO Jim Farley revealed while speaking at the automaker's 2022 shareholder meeting. Quote, well, first of all, hybrid has been and will remain a very important piece of our lineup at Ford, and we have the strongest hybrid lineup ever. Ironically, this was reported the same day that they had just settled this lawsuit. Continuing the quote from Farley, we sold nearly 88,000 hybrid vehicles in the U.S. alone last year, and we've already sold 36,000 just through April. I wonder if that's true. I mean, is he talking about North America? Maybe. This is really exciting for us to see the growth of not just our fully electric vehicles, but our successful expansion in the PHEVs in Europe and China, and the HEVs, especially here in North America. Like the popular F-150 hybrid, this is a big change for us. But as far as hybrids and plugins, we've been more committed and we continue to see our sales accelerate because our investment in this technology. I don't know what to fir firmly believe currently right now. I mean, the, both of these articles virtually came out the same day for Ford. You have one saying like, hey, Ford is just going to continue making its hybrids. And then you have some saying, hey, Ford is finally, finally settling its misleading advertisement to its consumers it's hard to tell but it's just one of those things where they're going to say what they need to say to sell things and then obviously work with government agencies in order to continue to be in business i mean it just seems like a lot of people that this is news that tends to slip under the radar that no one knows about and i'm kind of glad that sometimes we get to talk about it here with about it so and i don't have a full opinion on ford i mean i don't drive a ford truck or a ford car in general so to me i've never really had a desire for a ford cars but if you do drive a ford i mean good for you but at the end of the day always gotta be careful for marketing purposes right now this is the big story i need i want to be able to talk about because it has to do with the food issue that's happening in the in the world right now and i'm also wondering too, at the same time, how this is going to affect not only the United States, but how it's going to affect everywhere soon. And we've been following this really closely, actually, on this podcast. So I'm sorry if you guys get bored a little bit of me talking about this, but I think this is important to be able to talk about. Food crisis fuels fears as protectionism compounding shortages from Switzerland rooters. A growing world food crisis is persisting protectionist move by countries which are likely to compound the problem that could lead to a wider trade war, business leaders and policymakers at the World Economic Forum said. In a sign of escalating squeeze on food supplies and rising prices, a government source told Reuters that India could restrict sugar exports for the first time in six years to prevent a surge in domestic prices. Meanwhile, Indonesia's the world's biggest palm oil export will remove a subsidy in bulk cooking oil 
and replaced its price cap on the raw materials for local refiners. Quote, it's a major issue. And frankly, I think the problem is even bigger, bigger ahead of us than it is behind us. Gita Gopinath, first deputy managing director of the International Monetary Fund, told Rudders on rising food security concerns. Protectionism is, a, is looming large at Davos, prompting calls for urgent negotiations to avoid a full-blown trade war. Quote, it's very important for the leaders of the world to sit at the table with calm and talk about how we will manage the trade and food investment, Jay Collins, vice chairman of banking capital markets and adversary at, at Citigroup told Rudders Global Market Forum in Davos. Quote, there's a lot of conversations actually with the G7 happening here in the, in the past 48 hours, Collins said. I think the G7 is a huge waste of time sometimes. And I still think that way. I think it's just a bunch of political, not political elite people. I just say government officials wasting time and money on things when they really should be focusing on what's happening in their own countries. Okay. In that same an article, hoarding now, for residents and countries in sub-Sahara Africa, for instance, 40% of their consumption is spent on food, Gopantha said, as well as a huge hit on cost of living. Price rises have given rise to hoarding by governments. Why are governments hoarding food right now? Continuing on, we have about 20 plus countries that have put restrictions on exports of food and the fertilizers, and that can only compound the problem and make things worse, she said on Monday. Russia's invasion of Ukraine with Moscow describes a special military operation has led to a sudden crunch in the crisis that was already in the, in the offing. We are facing an extraordinary food crisis before Ukraine. Food costs, commodity prices, shipping costs were already doubling, tripling, quadrupling, Dave Beasley, executive director of the United Nations World Food Program, said. The number of people marching to starvation has risen 80 million to 776 million over the last four to five years, Beasley told Rudders in an interview in Davos. Okay, And obviously, this is not sustainable because it says later on that agriculture has, has to be part of the solution, of course, to climate change and has to tackle food security, Eric Freirold, CEO of Signet Group said during a panel discussion on Monday. These people are wasting so much time right now. Quote, humanity is facing with two big emergencies at the same time. We need to face climate change and we need to produce more to feed a growing population. Yeah. If they really cared about growing food, then why are we using corn to make ethanol? I will never understand that completely. If food is also so important too, and this is another question I have, why is it that there's only so many companies, at least in the United States, making certain products? I mean, we have a baby food shortage and we're airlifting baby food from Europe to the United States to meet our demand currently right now. Okay. I firmly believe there's plenty of land out there to grow food. But at the same time, is the land edible for the food to grow on, I guess? Now, this is the last part about talking about food that kind of gets my skin to crawl a little bit. Because we just talked about a little bit how governments are hoarding food. It says here, because this article actually came out before the one we just read, and I'm surprised they didn't try to update the article. It says, India to limit sugar exports in risk to global food prices. From Yahoo News Bloomberg, India will restrict sugar exports at a precautionary measure to safeguard its own food supplies. Another act of protectionism after banning wheat sales just over a week ago. I didn't even know that either. We had spoken about wheat a few weeks back, and this is something that didn't even come up, that they stopped 
they start banning wheat sales over a week ago. The government will cap sugar exports at 10 million tons for the marketing year that runs through September, according to a statement from the food ministry late on Tuesday, confirming an earlier Bloomberg news story. The aim is to maintain domestic availability of sugar and safeguard interest of consumers by keeping prices under control, it said. India was the world's biggest sugar exporter after Brazil last year and counts Bangladesh, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Dubai among its top customers. India took the world by surprise earlier this month when it curbed exports of wheat after a heat wave destroyed some crops, causing a jump in benchmark prices. Steps by government to ban sales abroad, particularly in Asia, have ramped up in recent weeks since Russia's invasion of Ukraine sparked a further surge in already soaring global food prices. Other recent measures by governments in Asia included Indonesia ban on palm oil exports and Malaysia halting chicken sales abroad. The latest step on sugar appears to be an extreme case of precautionary given domestic supplies are abundant. India is expected to produce 35 million tons this season and consume 27 million tons, according to the India Sugar Mills Association, including last season's stockpile of about 8.2 million tons. It has a surplus of 16 million, including as much as 10 million for exports. India rarely shipped more than 7 million tons until last year, when exports hit a record 7.2 million. Sugar mills tend to rely on government subsidies to boost exports. However, global prices have jumped almost 20% in the past year, allowing India to increase shipments without subsidies. There were expectations for export to range between 9 million and 11 million tons this season. Quote, some in the market are expecting as much as 11 tons. So at least the news puts a cap on expectations, said Michael McDougall, managing director of Paragon Global Markets. I personally believe currently right now, we're going to be in a huge resource war across the world soon. My opinion, like I said, okay. Because at the end of the day, we just read about how governments are starting to hoard food. How much more until governments start realizing we're going to hoard food a little bit more for ourselves, okay? Then how much longer until they say, oh, we're going to hoard a little bit more oil for ourselves? Just thoughts, people, okay? I'm trying not to be doom or gloom, but... If things don't settle down and inflation isn't under control, you're going to probably see a resource war in the making. That's one thing that happened during World War II. World War II was dependent on resources, okay? And that's one reason why in the end, the Axis lost, I believe, because they didn't have enough oil. I mean, that's one reason why Japan did bomb the United States during at Pearl Harbor was because of oil. And Germany obviously went, I believe, does uh, to Stalingrad to secure the oil fields in Russia during World War II. Potentially, we could see this happen again. Potentially. And I say potentially because things could turn around really quickly as much as things are going down currently. It's a matter of willpower at this point. But if things don't continue in a better path going forward, we could potentially see prices skyrocket across the United States and in the world. And at the same time, it will be a resource war at the end of the day. I mean, we're already seeing Sri Lanka having issues with food and gas right now, or energy, I believe it is. So how much longer until we start seeing this more across the world? And the other question too, at the end of the day is, will this ever get reported? Or will this continue to get buried down in the headlines across the, the board? We'll keep talking about it here, hopefully. And hopefully you guys will keep listening. 
With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. I ask that if you do, that you please like and follow this podcast. And also, please continue to share it with friends or family, as every share that we get helps grow this podcast so we can be able to keep talking about these events that are happening on Wall Street that sometimes don't get talked about a lot. With that being said, guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.